y'all. This is Matt, and I am your host for Matt's Musings, a podcast about music, pro wrestling, pop culture, and whatever else might strike my fancy and the fancy of you, the listener. Today is the fourth episode of the podcast, and also the fourth in my ongoing series called The Lowdown with Matt. Starting to see a pattern here. I'm a hobbyist bass player, and I love talking to other purveyors of the low end, so to speak. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Daniel Graham, bass player and lead vocalist for Atlanta's own Great Wide Nothing. We'll be talking about bass, gear, musical influences, life, and much more. So without further ado, here is my chat with Daniel. And there, there we are. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel. How are you doing? Doing all right. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So anyway, um, like I was saying, uh, you're Daniel. I think uh, I think I heard your last name is Graham. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Daniel Graham, uh, and you are the lead vocalist and bassist for Great Wide Nothing. That's right. Great. Awesome. Okay. So I, I guess by way of getting started here, the first and most obvious question is going to be, Daniel, how long have you been playing bass? Since I was 13, so 16 years now. Nice, nice. Um, did you take lessons at any point or are you pretty much self-taught? Um, how did all that go? Mostly self-taught. Um, you know, I had one of the little Hal Leonard books gotcha. that I kind of learned some gotcha. tales from, but um, mostly I just learned by ear and playing along to records um, that I was really into, especially Rush. Rush was very instrumental in, in my, my education as a bassist. You may see the Hemispheres uh, album cover in the background. There. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, my, my son actually uh, is uh, is a bit of a Rush fan, and he's on a, a vinyl kick. So I, I borrowed one of his vinyls right. to set up in the background because uh, you know, based on listening to your music, I figured that Rush is probably an influence. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much. It's a they're very much embedded in my DNA as a songwriter and as a bassist, and also as a vocalist. Even though my voice is about you know two octaves lower than Getty Lee's. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Getty, Getty, both vocally and musically, is hard to is hard to touch. <laughs> I mean, man's a monster. He oh, really is. Absolutely, absolutely. So, aside from bass, uh, Daniel, do you play any other instruments? I do. I play guitar. Um, I'm passable on piano. Um, you know, it. When I was in college, and you know, actively taking classes with uh, with my professor at the time, you know, I was a little bit more proficient than I am now. A lot of that's just kind of gone out the window, but I get by. Got you. Did you study music in college or? Uh, I did. Oh, yeah. oh okay. I, uh, I actually, that's where I met my wife. We were both vocal majors at University of North Georgia. Oh, so very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So um, tell me about your current gear and setup, uh, I guess, what you would use to play live, uh, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Uh, give me a rundown on that. 
Well, I I would show it to you as well, but it's currently all sitting at a at Dylan's house. Dylan, our keyboard player, he uh, he engineers all of our all of our recordings since we're DIY. Right. Um, but I <clears throat> I currently run my Reckenbacher four thousand three into a oh a Seymour Duncan bass compressor. Um, okay. And then I run that through a drive pedal into an orange terror bass. Okay. And I've just got the little one by 15, uh, no, not 15, the one by 12 OBC 112 cab. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which that little rig is tiny and a super lightweight, which saves a lot of trouble on my back. Right. Um, but it can kicks man and it's i've not played a gig yet where it was insufficient i was gonna say small but mighty oh yeah 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 so um do you have uh, like a favorite piece of gear uh something that just really is near and dear to your heart the reckenbacher um you know it's i've been through some uh some serious financial ups and downs you know over the years and that's the one base that i will never part with gotcha uh, um, I've had that since I was 18. I saved up, you know, part of, part of the expense was covered by, you know, all my family pooling their money together because they knew I wanted a Rick. Um, and, you know, they paid like a down payment on it as a graduation gift. Right. The rest I worked off. Um, well, you know, having, having your family, having some skin in the game yeah. probably makes it, makes it even more special. You yeah. Know? Oh, it, that's really cool. Yeah. And it, it's, I've written every, every great white album so far has been written and recorded and performed with that bass. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, do you have uh, any real preference yourself between four and five string or even greater number of string basses or? I, I'm, very much a four-string guy. I mean, you know, no, no disrespect whatsoever to folks who you know are a little bit more adventurous, but mm. it, the, the extra string confuses me, to be honest. Yeah. My, yeah, my my fingers don't know what to do with that extra string most of the time because I everything I learned I learned on a four. Got you. you know, and so that's my frame of reference. Got you. Got you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a converted guitarist. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've got a, um, uh, I, I started with a four string and eventually got a five string. And I, I like them both for, for different reasons. You know, I, I like being able to go a little lower with the five string, yeah. but there, there is something nice uh, about just a four string. Cause uh, you know, it's, uh, I find the four string is a little easier to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I like both. I, I don't really have a, a particular favorite myself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, musicians tend to collect gear. Um, do you have, have anything really unique or unusual in your your gear arsenal? Um, not really. I mean, I I do have you know the terror base. The terror base that I've got that is actually an older model. Um, you know, so it's one of the 90s, early 2000s, I believe, models of the Orange Terror base. So the, uh, gotcha. the DI is a little bit more hot. There's a little bit different graphic on the front. 
um, you know, that's, that's pretty much the extent of it. I don't have a very extensive gear collection, um, but I'm very proud of that, that particular, you know, little piece of gear. Oh, no doubt. So, um, you know, we already touched a little bit on this, but, you know, aside from Rush, uh, who are some of your other musical influences? Definitely, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Squire, you know, if, oh, we're talking, yeah. if we're talking about, you know, bass influences particularly, uh, Chris Squire is very much up there. Honestly, I think I've learned and taken more from his phrasing than I have from Getty Lee, even though I've been a Rush fan longer. Um, right, right. And I know, I know more Rush songs, but I think that there's something, and it might just be that shared choral background since, you know, Squire came up in the, in church choirs and whatnot. Right. Um, right. And I was a choir kid too. I think there's something about the phrasing of his lines and the way that he kind of, uh, some of the counter melodies and whatnot, that translates really well to me and it, it speaks to me in a lot of ways. Um, Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, oh, yeah. which it, I think you're wearing a Maiden shirt right now. I so, am, I yeah. am, yes. Um, uh, Eddie's playing bass. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he's a favorite. Uh, Chris Wollstenholm from Muse is a big, is a big influence, not so much in terms of like what I've learned of his, but just from listening. You know, there's a lot that he'll do you know, I, I tend to point to the song Resistance from the album, The Resistance. Mm -hmm. um, there are some runs that he plays that just still stick with me and I'm still trying to duplicate, you know, and rip off in my own way. Um, I would say Jocko is kind of like that for me as well. I've never really mm -hmm. dug deep and learned a whole lot of Jocko, but there's, you know, there's his way of playing the expressiveness of it and some of the... Uh, some of the way that he ways that he crafted his melodies, mm -hmm. I think, are really really cool, and they've had a profound impact on me. Well, uh, you know, doing some some research on on y'all's music this week, you know, on YouTube, I happened upon a live video of you guys doing a Yes cover. Yeah. It was a song yeah. I wasn't familiar with, but it was amazing. Well, I you. mean, and and nice and really, a, a, you know, a definitely a showcase for you, but also, you know, a nice tribute to Chris Squire. So, yeah, I think, yeah, very. if I'm not mistaken, the video that you're talking about was probably taken from a yes tribute set that we did like right when the pandemic hit. So it was like our, it was our last gig before lockdown actually. Got you. Um, from the Caledonian lounge in Athens, which is, uh, is no longer, an operating venue, but, oh, that's you know, shame. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that during that set, we did yours is no disgrace. Um, we did roundabout, of course, mm -hmm. you know, which is, yeah, you have to do, roundabout. you have to do roundabout. <laughs> you know, we also, we threw the, we threw the folks who were less familiar with yes in the room. Cause it was a multi-tribute right. night kind of thing. You know, we threw the uh, the the commoners a bone and and played owner of a lonely heart because you have to. Yeah. And then we and then I think we closed with heart of the sunrise, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it was probably one of those four. So, um, going I guess is sort of into the wayback machine. Um, what was the very first concert you attended? So if 
if we're talking about the first concert that I ever happened to be in the audience for, it was probably Casting Crowns when I was like six or seven. Um, I ended up at a church conference with my dad. The first concert I, you know, actually expressed the desire, hey, I want to go see this. Yeah. Would have been Rush in 2008. Um, Snakes and Arrows tour. My dad and I went and saw them at Ameris Amphitheater, which back then was Verizon Amphitheater. Um in Alpharetta, which is, you know, close to right. Right. You know, Rush, unfortunately, I never got to see Rush live. I had an opportunity to go, uh, you know, here in Atlanta at, at one of their, the last tours and something came up and I, I couldn't do it. And, you know, knowing, knowing, uh, kn knowing what I know now, I wish I had made more of an effort to, uh, to see it, you know? Yeah, I, um, so I caught every tour from 2008 until the end. Wow. And I actually, I missed the Atlanta date of the R40 tour and I immediately, you know, it, you can call it, yeah, I guess some kind of, uh, some kind of, foreknowledge, I guess. I knew this was not something that I needed to miss entirely. And I instantly had, you know, guilt uh, for missing it. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> pardon me. So I got online and I bought tickets for the, uh, the Char no, not Charlotte, Greensboro. Greensboro, North Carolina. I bought tickets for that show, which was the next day. And I called my dad because, you know, it was our thing for a while to go see Rush together. And I was like, hey, look, you know, I'm, I missed the Atlanta date. I'm not going to miss this one. Do you want to go with me? So we hopped in the car, you know, dropped off my car at a Cracker Barrel close to home. And we, we made the six-hour haul to go see them up in Greensboro. And I do not regret it whatsoever. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. So over the course of your musical career, have you had a chance to meet any of your musical heroes? <sighs> Not really any of my direct heroes, but I've definitely met, you know, I've met a few people that have been influential for me. And, you know, I've met some people that are separated by like one degree. Gotcha. Um, one cool gig that we got to do back in 2019 was open for Robert Berry, um, which if you're not familiar with him, he was, you know, California session guy. He was in Ambrosia as a live band for a while, but his biggest thing was being the third member of a band called Three, which was Keith Emerson's 80s band, Keith Emerson and Carl Palmer. Right. Their 80s band that they, after Greg Lake left, they made a new band that was basically ELP 2.0, and they called it Three. Mm. So the cool thing about that show was that Robert had assembled like this all-star cast, basically, of musicians. Mm -hmm. um, he had uh, a couple different guys including jimmy keegan from spock's beard if you're familiar with them i'm, um, I'm I've, I've heard I, i've heard of the band but I, i'm i'm not terribly familiar great band especially the early stuff when uh, neil morse was uh was the one doing a lot of the writing um but you know that's a whole different conversation point point being um robert was touring an album called 3.2 mm -hmm. which featured the last compositions that Keith Emerson had anything to do with before, oh, wow. before he unfortunately uh, left us a little bit too soon. Yeah. Um, and Robert basically 
spent that night telling stories about, you know, his relationship with Keith and their history and the way that he had worked with all these various different people. And then he played like songs from these different projects. So um, that was a really cool night. And it was kind of, even though Robert himself is not somebody that I would necessarily consider one of my musical heroes, you know, so someone who has had that kind of proximity to someone who's been as influential as Keith Emerson was pretty surreal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, you feel, you, you feel like you're getting something that may be by osmosis, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, aside from that, I mean, I'm trying to think of any other encounters that have been really cool. Um, not a whole lot. I mean, I can definitely tell you about like, scene and local bands here in Atlanta that I've gotten to right. meet and play with, but you, you know, you might not know them. Right. Um, right. So, so away from music, uh, what are your hobbies and interests? Well, I've got three kids, uh, twins that are six years old and then a daughter who just turned 10 months. Oh, wow. So I'm very, I'm very busy. Um, you know, married with kids and, uh, between that, and the cats it's a very full house um, yeah. aside from that though i you know i i work currently i work at duncan <laughs> as a as a shift manager um you know and then i do some warehouse work on the side here and there um i like to read uh i like to collect records you know i'm very much uh, i'm obsessive about you know things that i start collecting and records are definitely one of those um, I would be in front of my collection actually for this, but, uh, my wife is currently upstairs with a sleeping baby uh, on the couch. Yeah, I get it. So, uh, I, I absolutely get it. Absolutely. You know, and that, that's where the collection is, is up there in the living room. Um, but I guess the only other thing is I'm very much into philosophy and religion. Um, mm -hmm. I am a lay Zen Buddhist and... I voraciously read, you know, stuff from all kinds of religious traditions and spiritual literature, that kind of thing. Very cool. Um, political philosophy cool. as well. Mm -hmm. So tell me about Great Wide Nothing. Uh, you know, how long have you guys been together? How did the band form? Uh, what's the story? So Great Wide initially started as a solo project of mine. Um, I had had a previous band that I played with throughout high school and early college that fell apart. And I went through, you know, this kind of steep depression and ended up started writing music again around 2015, 2016. Um, and, you know, at first it was just me layering things, demoing things out in band camp, um, not band camp, garage band. Right. And eventually. Eventually, I decided, okay, I want to get back out there and play live again, and I need somebody to do that, and I want to record a proper album, and like I said, I'm a passable pianist, but I'm far from a proficient one, um, mm -hmm. and I can't drum to save my life, <laughs> so so I, I called up the, one of the drummers that I worked with in that old band, Jeff, who is our drummer, um, you know, and it's like, hey, you know, I've got this new project, you're the first person that came to mind, so let's see what we can do. And he and I kind of, we jammed a little bit and we got together with a couple different guitar players and it never really worked, never went anywhere. Um, you know, and then I was like, okay, I really want to find a good keyboardist. 
because there are tons of guitar players out there, but a good keyboardist is hard to find. Right. Um, and eventually, through some mutual friends, I and I met Dylan, and we talked over social media, and got together for a jam session, and he was exactly the kind of player that I was looking for. And it just so happened that he and Jeff were both students of the Atlanta Institute of uh, Music and Media, which, you know, that kind of mutual connection is exactly. kind of cool. Yeah. So they already had kind of a similar working knowledge. You know, they had a similar pool of friends, and they knew a lot of the same stuff because they had done some of the performance classes that were, you know, the same curriculum. Um, so already, you know, they kind of gelled together and I gelled with Jeff really well from our previous uh, knowing each other. Um, and yeah, we, we started playing together and kind of rearranging the stuff that I'd come up with in 2017. And by 2019, we put out the first album, The View from Olympus. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been it ever since, <laughs> you know. Well... You know, tell me about the songwriting process within the band. Is there a primary writer or would you say it's more of a collaborative thing? How does that it's, go? So most of the time, you know, the songwriting comes from me. Um, and that's, you know, that's not me toting, tooting my own right. horn or anything. It's just that that's where a lot of the ideas start is I'll come up kind of with the general idea and I'll demo out like a skeleton, you know, mm-hmm. I'll plunk around on the keyboards a little bit, record some MIDI drums, things like that, and send it off to the guys. And, you know, we'll get in a room together and usually hash that out, you know, change what needs to be changed. Um, and yeah, and then eventually we'll learn it, <laughs> rehearse it, and debut it. So, um, I mean, Based on on what you what you were saying just a little while ago, I, uh, I I think I know the answer to this next thing. But I was going to ask: Is Great Wide Nothing anything approaching a full time thing? Uh, it sounds like it's <laughs> it's not. <laughs> no, 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 very much not. I would love for that to be the case, but you know the fact of the matter is, unless you start ahead in this in the industry you know unless you already know somebody or you know have a bunch of money to throw at marketing campaigns and there is very very much a a difficulty for anybody who is working or lower class to enter the industry and make it a full-time gig right you know let let alone people with families that are at my stage in life right you know right you know that at the end of the day even if i wanted to get out and even if it was you know, more feasible to, you know, do it the old fashioned way and just hit the road, be a dog and, you know, pay your dues. I can't leave my kids at home alone for months. At exactly. Time. You know, so we kind of, if it ever got to the point where I could tell my wife, you know, Hey, you don't have to work anymore. I'm making, you know, such and such amount of money that it will support all of us from my music. That would be amazing, but I don't think it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, well, yeah, you've got your your priorities clearly in in the right place, and you know that's commendable. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, what would you say would perhaps be the most interesting experience you've had playing live? Well, interesting in a good way or bad way. Uh, <laughs> uh, either one, either one. 
Well, I can definitely think it wasn't in Great Wide Nothing. It was in a previous band that I played in. You know, I, I was still figuring out how to book, how to book myself. You know, like I said, we're totally DIY. Right. Um, we have no booking agent. We have no manager. All that basically falls to me. Okay. Um, and I learned a lot of that the hard way. And one, one experience was I booked this old band I was in at a bowling alley in Athens, you know, and we pull up and this place is an absolute wreck, to be completely <laughs> honest. And, and so, you know, we, we go in and we play our, our cover sets and then we break out some original music, you know, and then we're in the middle of like a, a blues cover of some sort, if I'm not mistaken. And this guy just jumps up on stage and grabs the mic and he will not stop screaming into it, you know, and nobody's doing anything. And this goes on for, you know, probably a good five, 10 minutes. And eventually we just, you know, the guys and I look at each, look at each other, the guys in the old band. And we just said, okay, you know what? Let's just do a blues vamp in, you know, in E. And eventually the guy tired himself out you know, <laughs> screaming, screaming into that mic. Um, I can say in, I think in that band and then also in Great Wide, we've, both bands have played at a place at this, uh, at this bar that will currently remain unnamed here in Atlanta, or not quite in Atlanta proper, but kind of in the suburbs. Um, got, you know, I got offered some uh, very suspicious drugs there at one point, um, witnessed several fights, you know, uh, pretty basic bar band stuff, though, I think. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of really good, good, unique experiences, you know, like I said, the Robert Beery show, um, we've played a lot of like house shows, little punk things, because that's, that's the funny thing about Great White is that we are very much a prog band, but we also kind of occupy this niche where we're very heavily involved in a scene that's punk dominant. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's part of our crowd and that's part of, I think it makes for an interesting combination, you know, of, uh, of sounds, but also for a very, we're, we're always that one weird keyboard band, yeah. you know? Um, and that works to our advantage, but also to our detriment. So uh, all that to say, you know, we've definitely done our fair share of like of, uh, house parties at, you know, punk houses where there's graffiti all over the wall and things like that. Right. Um, So, um, you know, before going on, do you have any pre-show traditions that you, that you, you stick by? Like, you know, they talk about how, you know, sometimes athletes before a game will unlace and relace their shoes. Is there anything Anything you do consistently before you go on? Not really. Um, you know, stretching is always a good idea. Right. Um, there was a there was a period where I was very zealous about doing qigong before getting on stage, um, but I've forgotten some of the forms that I had learned at that point, um, and just haven't done it in a while. But that is that was I did find that to be a useful practice because it ends up kind of limbering up the joints and kind of getting things flowing. Um, gotcha. So maybe I should get back into that. <laughs> so, how often do you change your strings? As often as I feel necessary and can afford it. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, at, yes. as a bassist, you know the pain. It's, yes, bass strings know, are are not cheap. Nope, <laughs> not at all. And it's 
you know, the thing is, I can get by on the same set for a long time, but right. it's especially with the way that I like to sound, which is that very aggressive, trebly kind of bass sound, you mm -hmm. know, I need to change my strings more often than somebody, you know, playing like in an R&B group would. Right. You know, because I need more of that brightness. I need more of that lively kind of sound. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, so I'd say, you know, at the latest, you know, once every six months, usually gotcha. usually it's a little bit sooner than that you know sometimes it's a little bit longer depends on you know where things sit financially because i don't really want to go and drop 40 bucks on a set of strings but right oh i i completely get that absolutely yeah. so uh so daniel what is your hometown so Great White is an Atlanta band. Right. We play primarily in Atlanta, and that's kind of a, a point where all of us migrate toward. Um, but I personally live in Gainesville, which is about 45 minutes or an hour, depending on traffic, northeast of, uh, of Atlanta. But, um, and what would you say is your favorite thing about Gainesville? The record shop. <laughs> um, Moe's record shop on the square in Gainesville. I, I am I'm probably, I've spent an, un, an unconscionable amount of money <laughs> at that store. Um, aside from that, I mean, everything on the square is kind of cool because you've got lots of different dining options. You've got, you know, all kinds of little unique shops there's a bookshop that's like got a bunch of vintage stuff um called next chapter mm -hmm. um which they're cool because they exclusively employ you know people with special needs and disabilities and whatnot that's you know part of it's part of like their uh, uh i'm trying to figure out how to word it it's the whole point is to give them work experience and you know kind of help be that bridge for folks who have unique struggles to be able to more properly function in society, you know, more independently function. Well, that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, that's, it's a cool spot. Absolutely. It's a very cool spot. Yeah. That's, um, you know, I also like the schools so far, um, you know, speaking as a parent, uh, the daycare that we've worked with has been incredible. You know, they've, they had the twins for a couple of years and now they have the baby, um, you know, and that's really been great. They've been wonderful with them. The school that the twins go to at the moment is really nice too. And they're very uh, proactive, you know, in talking with parents about things and we keep a pretty nice open line of communication. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it just kind of comes down to those things. Okay. Well, here is, uh, is, a kind of a different question. If you could give any advice now to your younger self, what would it be? Give up on being famous. Do what you do because you love it. Like cut yourself out, you know, save yourself the pain of trying to chase this idea that other people need to recognize you for your art to be valid, you know, or for you to be happy. Because I spent so long thinking oh you know it's it's the whole idea is making it right you know and that's what we're kind of always taught is that you know you need to make a living doing something for it to be legitimate or worthwhile but that's not the case you know it's 
the art has meaning whether a ton of people are buying copies of it or not. Absolutely. You know, and for, for somebody as comparatively young as you are, you're wise beyond your years. Uh, I mean, you, you, you seem to be an old soul, and I mean that in the best well, way possible. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, do, so do you have any suggestions for any other up and coming bands to check out or potentially reach out to for another bass player interview? I'm always looking for new subjects. So, so there's a, there's a couple different bands that share bass players in Atlanta. It's good rhythm section players tend to float around, you know, right. um, our drummer Jeff is actually in a, in several different bands. Um, but in terms of some of my favorite local bass players, a guy named Chase Sammons plays in Grudge Step, um, a guy named John Meekham, he plays in Cascadent, um, oh, I'm trying to remember some others, Jack from Bummer Hill, or Dawson, I can't remember which one of them plays bass, Jack or Dawson, but Bummer Hill is a fantastic band, they're kind of like emo, power pop sort of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, ordinarily, ordinarily I could, I could rattle off this whole list. The funny thing is we actually have a group chat of, uh, of bassists in Atlanta. It's, I've, I've made the joke before that that's the most reliable news source in, in the States because <laughs> we all, you know, we all just pass gossip and, and news around to each other. But, um, yeah, I mean, I can, I can probably go down the list and find a bunch of names that I can send you later in a DM. Oh, that would but, be great. But off the top of my head, I would definitely, you know, hit up Grudge Step, uh, Tiny Banshee, Nolan and, Ty and Tiny Banshee. Tiny great Banshee. Friend. Yeah, great I friend. That. Yeah. I, lo I love that band name. That That is, yeah. <laughs> that is very cool. Um, Tiny Banshee. Yeah, the, the singer Mar and Nolan, they're, they're old friends and they, we go way back. Um, and Jeff is actually the drummer in that band as well. Um, Sarah and the Safe Word is a is another band that Jeff is in. Maddox, their bass player, lovely human being, absolutely lovely. Um, probably the biggest Bruins fan you'll ever meet, and a fiend for Dunkin' Ice Coffee. <laughs> um, so, so you probably see a lot of him. <laughs> uh, you, well, Maddox does, and does he come to does he come to your Dunkin'? No, no, because I mean I'm all the way up here in Gainesville. Oh, a lot of the safe, a lot of the safe word crew, they're more Marietta, Kennesaw kind of over where our keyboardist lives and where we record. Um, which that's that's been a fun adventure going back and forth from here to Marietta. It's about an hour and a half. You know. Right. Um, but I've been doing a lot of that this week, and probably will for a couple more weeks. But gotcha. Yeah, we've got some family out in Cartersville, so I I know oh, how 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 yeah. it is making that kind of a trek. So, yeah. but um, so I did one of these Monday night, and I, I I had a guy named James Bardish, who is the bass player for a band out in Texas called Ghost Dance Band. Okay, and 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 something I've been doing in these is. I've been having uh, each person pose a question for the next person to be interviewed. Okay. So, so I've got, I've got James's question here. 
And he, he was basically wanting to know what led you to choose bass as your primary instrument. So it, it wasn't a choice at first, as much as it was, you know, a, a group of kids in middle school that were like, hey, we're starting a band. We all got guitars for Christmas. You look like a bass player. Ah. So get a bass. <laughs> let's, let's do a band. And, you know, I told my parents at the time, at the time I, you know, wanted to play bass. And they're like, okay, we'll get you this, you know, little $120 Dean starter bass pack. And um, lo and behold, I fell in love with the instrument. You know, yeah. So it wasn't something that I necessarily chose. It feels more like it chose me. If that if that makes any sense. Absolutely, yeah. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a converted guitarist, and the the way uh, I've been playing bass for about four years now, and the way it came about is my son actually took up guitar and absconded with all my guitar gear. So. Um, that happens. So, <laughs> so my, uh, he and my wife surprised me with a bass. And so I had never touched a bass, let alone tried to play one. Mm -hmm. And I discovered that, you know, uh, it, within a, a short period of time, I figured out that all of these years I had been a bass player and I just never knew it. Um, and it's, it, it's been an interesting journey. Um, you know, I, I actually took the time to learn some music theory mm -hmm. with bass and it's it's been interesting how some of that theory has actually translated and has made me a better guitarist as well. I mean, I uh, I, I mostly noodle around on the bass, but I do uh, play around some some with uh with the normal guitar as well and yeah. it's it's interesting what having a greater understanding of how it all works really translates to other instruments. Yeah. So. Well, and it, it, it changes your understanding of, you know, how everything interacts and how everything exactly. functions. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, the thing about bass that I've come to appreciate and love and value is, is that the bass determines the chord, you know, a guitar player mm -hmm. can play, you know, whatever convoluted jazz chord they want. But if the bass player is playing the fifth, then damn it, that's the fifth. You know, that's what's going to be emphasized. Absolutely. Um, you know, and on top of that, it's, I see the role of bass, especially in my own music, as being the thing that gives fluidity and motion. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's what carries you from one chord to the next, one phrase to the next, one idea to the next. Right. And when you have a good bass player who knows how to move around, it makes all the difference in the, in a song. Um, right. Well, you, you know, um, going back to the subject of Getty, yeah. you know, I, uh, I mean, my personal take on Getty is I feel like he was one of the first people to move bass from the background to a lead instrument. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I just, uh, you know, I really respect his ability to do that because you know you can always clearly hear his bass uh you know in in virtually any rush song yeah whereas you know in in so many cases the bass is relegated to the background yeah and it's just um you know i've been gosh i've been been listening to rush um uh i'm i'm uh, 54 and a half and 
gosh, um, you know, since uh, probably 1980. So, um, yeah, I've been been listening to them for quite a while. I'm, I've I've really, you know, just in the last 20 years, really come to a huge appreciation, you know. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's um, and you know, um, so going back to the the previous question you know since this is a series is there a question that you would like to pose to the next person i'm thinking about it uh, well because I, mean, I, I, I wanted to be a good one i want right. to be a good one. oh absolutely you, you know if you can't think of anything tonight you can feel free to dm me and yeah. you know so uh, I mean, you know, well, we can. Whoever you interview next, I think ask them, you know, what keeps you going musically? What's the thing that drives you at this point to continue? Yep. You know? What's your why? Basically? Yeah. 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 What's your why? What's your why? Why Z? Yes. <laughs> or why Y Z as yeah. as apparently you know correctly called in Canada. Yep. Um, um, but yeah, what's your why? Why you know why do you still do it? So, um, you know, beyond Instagram, do you guys have any other social media presence you'd yeah. like to hype? Um, I mean, Facebook, you know, we, we're on there basically, you know, we'll, we'll post announcements here and there. I've tried to, uh, to integrate threads into our social platform and, and yeah, it's, you know, it's something, um, <laughs> you know, Instagram is fun. I really enjoy Twitter. You know, because mm -hmm. there's actually there's this really kind of cool niche of DIY musicians, you know, bunch of underground punks and ska musicians and folks who are open to literally any kind of genre. And it's just everybody kind of boosting each other up. I've met some great friends that way. We actually just got off a tour, a little three day mini tour um, a few months back with a band I met over Twitter. They're called Caregiver and they're from Nashville, Tennessee. And oh, they're, nice. yeah, their their front person Jay. They and I bonded over mutual love of Coheed and Cambria, which is my, you know, Rush is my all time. Coheed is currently my favorite active mm -hmm. band. Um, yeah, I, I will, I will never miss a Coheed tour. Uh, I'm a, I'm a nerd about it, but Jay and Sanchez is a genius. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, but no, Jay and I bonded over Twitter over a mutual love of Coheed, and you know they sent me caregivers music and I sent them, you know, great wides and we just kind of developed a rapport and ended up touring together. And it was one of the coolest things, um, you know, and since that whole band has become great friends of ours, mm -hmm. um, you know, and we're actually, we just linked up with a group called with sales ahead from New Jersey that are going to be coming through Atlanta and will be uh, local support for them you know, right before we play a gig with a, with another band that I, I knew through social media before knowing them in person, which was a uh, flummox. who's also from Nashville, actually. Hmm. Um, um, yeah. Which flummox is incredible. That's, that's another band. You know, I was thinking pretty local earlier, but flummox, if you get the chance to talk to Allison Dellinger, she is everything you could possibly aspire to be as a bass player, in my opinion. Absolutely monster musician. Well, cool. Cool. Yeah, cool. yeah I will definitely um, uh, 
definitely see if I can uh, reach out to them near term. Um, so you mentioned that you guys are, are currently in the studio. Is there anything you want to share about what you're working on? Um, well, there's not a whole lot I can share this early in the process. Gotcha. But, but I can definitely say that this is it's exciting because we're doing things a bit differently and it's yielding some really cool results. Um, you know, on the two albums, on the two Hymns for Hungry Spirits albums, mm -hmm. basically our process was, you know, Dylan and I hash out the arrangement and create a demo and get Jeff in a room to record the whole album to the demos, you know, track him. That way we get that out of the way. And then Dylan and I just kind of go overdub everything over that. Um, this time we're all in the room together. We're kind of learning the songs together and, you know, rehearsing and performing them together live in the room. And there's a very different energy to that. So it's, a, right. yeah, there's a lot more, a lot more of that kind of collective power, I feel like, that, that's coming into it. And I'm very excited. And I'm, I'm very proud of the songs as well. I think these are some of the best and most interesting um, songs that we've done. So gonna be, it's going to be a great record, and I'm very, very excited for it. Well, I'm excited to hear it. So um, d do you guys have any upcoming shows you'd like to hide? We do. Um, March 14th, we'll be in Augusta, Georgia, um, at Soul Bar, and we'll be doing two full sets. Uh, the next day, we're in Athens at Bouvet. Um, we'll be playing with Way Past Cool, which is a really awesome kind of pop punk sort of band, um, along with Pretty Colors, which is kind of jammy, psych psychedelic, uh, and The While. Um, then we'll be playing at my favorite record shop in Gainesville, at Moe's uh, Record Shop in Gainesville, on the third day of that run. And that's going to be with a hardcore band called Death Blender. And that's a, the sixth. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually thinking I may try to come up and see you that guys. That would be great. That would be really great. Um, yeah, that show is going to be a lot of fun. All of them are going to be a lot of fun. Um, but that's that's all we have until May, and we haven't announced what's going on in May yet. So you know, stay tuned. Absolutely, absolutely. That's that's exciting. And Daniel, I. Uh, I I appreciate you taking the time away from your family to, to do this. Um, uh, this has really been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I feel like I've kind of met a kindred spirit here. So that's, um, uh, that's always a cool yeah. thing. Keep in touch for sure. Let's do it again. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for, for those of you that have been watching this and, and have, have been in chat, you know, thank you guys. And, um, We'll be um, be seeing y'all again real soon, and um, I'll uh, I'll be in touch with you, Daniel, about you know links to uh, various places. This will end up being posted, yeah. and um, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good night. You too. Good night. Hey all. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Matt's Musings. I'm excited to let you know that I do have another interview scheduled for Wednesday, March 6th. I'll be chatting with Raymond Terry, the lead vocalist, and with Spoto, the bass player, for Kill the Fall, a band out of Cleveland, Ohio. 
It will be streaming live on Instagram, YouTube, and other platforms at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and will make it to this podcast format a few days after that. We will be discussing the usual music-related topics, and will also be delving into the realm of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. As Raymond is an instructor and decorated competitor, and I happen to have a background and interest in the art. Thanks once again to Daniel, who was an amazing guest. I enjoyed the far-ranging and interesting chat that we had. Thanks to all of you for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and keep rocking.